As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Something inside each of us longs for more. For life beyond our limits, for possibilities that wait to be seized, just out of reach. We grow restless, quarantined inside the boundaries of our resources and reality. How do we go beyond the points we've been to before, beyond what we've already experienced in life? We will never know until we take that bold step of faith. What could be waiting for us beyond our own limitations? What awaits when we allow a limitless faith to be fully entrusted to our limitless God? This is Faith Without Borders. All right. Man, that is inspiring, is it not? Let me try this again. I'll go sit down and come back up. Are we happy to be in church today? Yes. We braved it. I'm telling you, I almost fell down on the way. I just got from Wheaton to here in, in the early morning service. I mean, like it, the ice is crazy. So I just want to thank you for being in church today. I got an ask, and it has to do with that video. I'm just asking for you to save the date next Sunday for Vision Night. It's going to be awesome. I want to present with you what we've been praying about, where we believe God is leading us as a church. So please, if I have any chips with you, I want to cash them in for you to come back next Sunday for what we're calling Vision Night. It's going to be an awesome time. I want to invite all those that are watching online, please be here next Sunday for Vision Night. Good stuff. Are you with me? Who remembers being in high school? Who doesn't want to go back? <laughs> Neither do I, but I remember this. I remember when I was in high school, I was taking driver's education. And the guy who was my instructor, he was a man of the cloth, if you know what I mean. He's a pastor and a priest. And so I had all these questions about spirituality, about God, about Jesus, about the Bible. And I was afraid to ask. So finally, after we dropped the last kid off, and it's just him and me in the car, he's sitting next to me, I'm driving, correct position, and I, I, got, my, I got my eyes on the road, and I'm looking because I didn't want to make eye contact with him. And finally, I mustered up enough courage to just say, what's the deal with Jesus and God and the Bible? And no disrespect to him. What I heard next sounded like Charlie Brown's parents from the Peanuts cartoon, yes, I've heard it already. Wah, 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 wah. And now, in all honesty, I don't know. It could have been because he said some things that just were over my head and I don't understand. Or it, it could have been that he didn't know how to answer the question. He was just rambling on. I don't know for sure. But all I know is this. And I'm being as honest as I'm telling you, this is all I know from that one conversation. I didn't ask another question like that for 10 years. That's true. I, I mean, 
It wasn't that that conversation went so bad. It was just something inside of me like I didn't inquire, I didn't seek, I didn't ask. I don't want that to be true of anyone here or anyone watching online. And I know it's ridiculous, it probably isn't. But that's why we're doing this series. In this series, we're talking about some of the Mount Rushmore verses in the Bible. I'm talking life verses. And these are the verses you get tattooed on your arm. These are the verses where you claim as a promise for a life verse. We're challenging you. If you don't have a life verse, man, this would be a great time. We're going to give you a lot of options to choose from. Or specifically, maybe you just need a truth for this season. Maybe you just need a promise to grab hold of for 2022. Man, grab hold of a life verse. And so the verse I want to present to you today, that's what it did for me. It got me through. It helped me to understand the importance of this book, the message of this book. This is the verse that, I mean, it got me through that conversation and helped me understand the relevance of this book to my life. The verse is from Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Get it in your memory banks. It simply goes like this. The book of the law, this book, it shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's the message. One specific verse. It was life-changing for me. I've got the Bibles that I've read over the years since then. These are the ones I started reading, and these are some of the most prized possessions in my life. These are the things, and I've said this before, man, this is what I would run back into the house for if the house was burning, after I got Jody and the kids out. <laughs> and the dog would fall somewhere in there. I'm not sure exactly. But these things, I mean, this is, Why? Well, honestly, man, Joshua 1.8, it, it taught me this. I want to put the message in a sentence. This is what I've experienced. And I want you, if you haven't experienced it, to experience more of it. To experience it for sure. If you have, to experience more. And it's simply this. When I read the Bible, meditate on the Bible, and obey the Bible, I am blessed by the God of the Bible. If you agree with that truth, give me a hand raise. I mean, that's what I learned from Joshua chapter 1a. And that's what I want us to continue to learn. So I just want to inspire you with one verse today. So let's take each section of this first read the Bible. I mean, that's simple, really. But Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. When he talks about this book of the law, and it's interesting, these are some Bibles that, that, that I've used. This is the one I used when I was actually a youth pastor. And so it's all beat up, man. I mean, this thing has been to Apostles Island. It's been all over the place, in canoes. And, and, and what I learned that when he says this book of the law, he, he's not talking about the entirety of the Bible because it hadn't been written yet. He's only talking about the first five books, the author here. But for us, it's, it's all of these books. This is the book that I took to seminary, and it's a big Rari study Bible. It has all the answers. That's why when I went to seminary, I read this one. And, and this, though, it, 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 for us, when it says this book of the law, it's talking about the entirety of God's word, from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, more than just the Pentateuch. But, but 
it shall not depart from our mouths. That means it's got to become part of us. Now, today, what's happening in our day, in our society, is that everybody's talking about, and catch this, you've heard this, my truth. Have you heard that? It's my truth. What's my truth? And again, no disrespect, but what that's really saying is my truth is based exclusively at times entirely on my experience. And so it's about my relevance, my truth, my story. And again, please, I'm not trying to trash anybody here, but this truth needs to become our truth, which needs to become my truth. And that's what he means by it shall not depart from your mouth. And what's become a dinosaur, prehistoric, it's canceled, it's extinct today, is absolute truth. What, you believe this book? Are you kidding me? Are you prehistoric? That's what we're up against. And so what I want to do now is I just want to do a little apologetic for those that are here, for those that are online. I want to do a little apologetic. I'm going to appeal first to the Bible and then to outside sources of how do we get this book and can it be trusted? So how did we get it? Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That means that it didn't come from a human author. It came from God himself. Now, God used the human author, but think of it like this. He used their pens, but it's from God's heart. And why do we have it? Well, it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's why we have it. Well, but... I mean, isn't it all based upon someone else's interpretation? That's the next verse. And again, we're appealing to the Bible first. We'll go to outside sources in a minute. Second Peter chapter 1, knowing this first of all, hey, know this, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Again, it came from God's heart through the pen. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this book, as amazing as it is, it was written over a period of 1,500 years on three continents by 40 different authors, people that were shepherds, people that were kings. I mean, it's truly incredible. And it's assembled for us. So that's why we're to read it. But can it be trusted? And honestly, that's a legitimate question. And I think one that we as Christians need to understand that not everybody trusts or relies, and and we need to understand, well, how do we know that it can be trusted? Again, this is an apologetic course. Well, let's look at any ancient document. How do you know if any ancient document is reliable, is trustworthy? Well, there's a science called textual criticism. So this is what a scientist, a professor, this is what they would use to judge whether or not something is deemed trustworthy and reliable and accurate. And so it answers two questions. The first thing is they would ask, how many available copies are there or original manuscripts, early writings that we have from a long time ago? And the next question that they answer to determine textual criticism, determine the reliability of a document is, From the date that we know that it was created to the date of the earliest copy that we have in our possession, 
what's the number of years or the time span between this and this? And so let's take Homer's Iliad, which, I mean, that's a very, you know, nobody questions the accuracy, the trustworthiness of that document. And let's take that and compare it to the Bible, which is oftentimes always questioned as far as reliability and relevance. Well, Homer's Iliad, how many copies do we have? Well, the number of early manuscripts of Homer's Iliad is 643. That's a good number. How many specifically New Testament copies do we have? Well, the number of early manuscripts of the New Testament is 25,000. That's 40 to one. I mean, how many would agree with me? That's pretty impressive that that's what we have in terms of what the Bible, when we compare it to maybe some ancient document that you read in high school or college or had to study, I mean, it, it passes this test. What about the next? Well, the date of the earliest known copy of Homer's Iliad is 400 BC. It was written in 900 BC. So that's about a 500 year gap or difference again, but nobody questions that. Well, how about the Bible or specifically the New Testament? Well, the date of the earliest known copy of the New Testament is 125 AD. It was written in 100 AD, which is only a 25 year gap. 25, you heard me right, versus 500. I mean, why are we questioning this document as being legit and accurate? I could just say this, I don't know. I don't, by the numbers, I don't know. And I tried to match my little meme here with the nice blue sweater. I still don't know. But the reality is, some would say, or they used to say, they say, well, yeah, you, you're talking about the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? And so there was a gap of over 1,300 years from the earliest when we thought it was written to the earliest copy that we had until 1947. I mean, God's got a sense of humor. And so there's this little boy in Israel, little shepherd boy, and he throws a rock into a cave and he hears a crash. He goes in there and he discovers what's come to be known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you ever heard of those? And it's copies of some of the, the Old Testament. I mean, for Isaiah 53, some, I mean, it's just amazing. It's incredible. I've actually been to a museum where I've seen this and and do you know what the date of those were? They were a thousand years better than anything we had. So the gap got closed from 1,300 years to 200 years. Again, it crushes Homer's Iliad, which is 500 years. Man, this book can be trusted. And this book is reliable. And, and let's listen to what some other much smarter people than I would say. Dr. William F. Albright He's an archaeologist, and he said the excessive skepticism short to the Bible by important historical schools of the 18th and 19th century, certainly phrases of which still appear periodically today, have been progressively discredited. Discovery after discovery has established the accuracy of innumerable details and has brought increased recognition to the value of the Bible as a source of history. So again, do the research. This book has satisfied some of the greatest thinkers of human history, and it actually lines up with history. That's what Dr. Albright is saying. Now, Miller Burroughs, he 
Again, another scholar, he says the excess skepticism of many liberal theologians stems not from a careful evaluation of the available data. We just did that simplistically here quickly. But he says the reason is it's, but it's from an enormous predisposition against the supernatural. Oh, oh, I see. So if you don't believe in supernatural, you may have a predisposition against the accuracy, the relevance, and the reliability of the Bible. I, I think I get it. I, and so we're sending our kids to a lot of schools, and again, it's fine, it, but just they're swinging from a different plate when it comes, different side of the plate, when it comes to the supernatural and, and that we believe that there is a God of this world who's revealed himself through a book, and that, that's what we're facing. So I want to read the Bible. I want to meditate on the Bible. That's the next thing that is right in the verse, right? The author says, you shall meditate on it day and night. For how long? Well, all the time. It needs to be thought through and chewed on. And what's interesting is this, this word meditate, if, if you're to double click on that word, it literally means that you're to, catch this, murmur in pleasure. That's an interesting choice of words, but that's what it means in the original language, that we're to take great pleasure in reciting and thinking through and digesting this book so that it not only becomes God's truth, but it becomes my truth and the truth that I, I try to live by. That, that's what we see. Well, for the skeptic, maybe even here, or I'm, and I know it's like I, we can't just... I, I don't know, I, what, what value does the Bible have? I mean, it seems a little tough to understand. And if we're honest and you're reading through Isaiah and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's like, whoa, what the, this doesn't seem too relevant to my life today. And I love the fact that even Peter, who I've come to love, who is the author of a couple letters in the New Testament, he says in one of his letters about Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he says about Paul, some of the stuff Paul writes, it's just really hard to understand. I love the honesty, because this book makes you think. I mean, the message is simple for a two or three-year-old, at least a kid, but, but again, it's challenged some of the greatest thinkers of human history that, that this book, and... And so why should I read it and meditate on it? Let's let the Bible speak for itself. I got nine pictures. They're coming quickly. This is biblical pictures of what the Bible says about itself. The Bible is a fire that refines. That's what, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah says. He says it so clearly. It is not my word. He's speaking for the Lord. He's writing for the Lord. He says, it's not my word like fire declares the Lord. And so think about what fire does. It refines and it purifies. It's not my word like a hammer that humbles. That's what Jeremiah says next. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. No hand raise here. Please don't want to embarrass you. But how many of you have been broken by the word of God? That when you try, thanks for the honesty here. I asked for no hand raise. You're like, I have too. That, that what? That, that let's be, man, what this requires of me, what this says that I'm supposed to do. Like, I fall short. I can't do it. I make a mistake. I, it, it's got standards that are pretty difficult to live by. But don't miss the message of the book. 
The message of the book is that you can't live by those standards. You cannot do it. You can't do it on your own. That's why God sent his son. And from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is declared God's grace that that he sent his son to die a death that he didn't deserve so that he would pay the price of our sin and that we would be forgiven of our sin and that we could experience new life. That's the message of the book. It always amazes me that when God gave us the Ten Commandments, he gave them to Moses. In the same chapter, he tells him to set up an altar. Why did he do that? Because he knew that we were going to break the commands and that we needed to make sacrifices so that we could receive the fresh start. Hey, man, the Bible is a hammer that humbles, and it has humbled me, and it It ought to be humbling us. What else does the Bible say about itself? It's a sword that cuts. Here's a picture from Hebrews. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And get the picture of some big dagger out of your mind. And here it's more like a little scalpel, for lack of a better word, that, that it's a small precision and that a doctor would use to cut away the cancer that, that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. The Bible is, it's not only a sword, it's a seed. And so it's planted, it's a seed that grows since you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The Bible's not only a seed, but the Bible's like milk. It's like what an infant needs to be nourished. And so it's to nourish us like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. And what else does the Bible say? Oh, the Bible's like a meat, a meat that strengthens. And so here's a bit of a rebuke. And I mean, I don't want to walk into the audience and see some 32-year-old guy with a bottle of milk. I mean, that would be ridiculous. It's like, dude, like, like grab a bagel or something at least. I mean, but that's what the author's saying. It's a rebuke that in Hebrews, for by this time you ought to be teachers and you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles. You need milk, I mean, not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So it's a rebuke here that, man, you ought to be ready for the main course. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practices to distinguish good from evil. The Bible is... It's like water that cleanses. This is an interesting picture because it's talking about Paul's mentioning the fact that the Bible, he's comparing Jesus in the church to what a husband needs to do for his wife. And so he says that what? That that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. That means to make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, just as Jesus cleanses us through his word. He's the living and abiding word that we, if you're married, that you as a husband would would make an environment in your home where God's word would be taught and that it would be used to sanctify not only your wife, but your kids. And the Bible is, it's a light that guides I mean, I wonder how many, if you're like me, and it's like you heard a verse, and maybe it was somebody teaching it, and it was right at that time where, man, I just, I just needed that. I needed some direction. I was heading out, or you got up in the middle of the night, and you opened up your Bible, and you're reading 
whether it's at the morning or at night, and, and, and you had a question or you had a thought or there was a life decision that you were faced with or some difficulty you were having in your family, and, and, and all of a sudden, it, man, there was a truth there that I needed, and, and God led me as a result. Well, that's because the Bible is like a light that guides your word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I can't tell you how many times my wife, I, in bed, it's like, where are you? In the middle of the night, and... We're going through a difficult time with, maybe it's one of our kids, to be honest, or one of our family members, or now it's the son-in-law. And, and the next thing you know, she's, she's downstairs, and I, I'm kidding a bit, but she's got the Bible open. I mean, that's a memory, that, 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 and just looking for some guidance is, God's word is like a light, and it guides us, and I know that, man, we need that. And so these are the things, the ninth one is this, that the Bible is like a mirror that reflects. And, and so the beautiful thing about the scriptures is, is that it's, it's like this mirror that you look into and, and you can see yourself for who you really are. And God wants to course correct you so that you would not only be a hearer of the word, but that you would look, man, I need a little, I need a little help here. And man, this beard's got to go. And my wife doesn't really like it. And but I get so many compliments on it and, and I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm just living, you know, it's, it's the fourth time I'm doing this message. We're making up a lot of stuff right now. And, and so, but seriously, isn't it true? James chapter one, the Bible is a, it's a mirror that, that we can see ourselves in for who we really are. And for some of the things that we don't like about ourselves and some of the things that, man, I know I, we need to change. And, and the Bible just doesn't point them out. The Bible God uses his word with his spirit to make the course correction. The things that you can't do. I remember when I was in college and I, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and, and I, it was like, I didn't think people could change. Do you know why? Because I knew deep in my heart that there was some stuff that I wanted to change about me and I couldn't. God uses his word to course correct and to bring about the better version of ourselves. So that's what the Bible says about itself. But this is where the rubber meets the road. It's about reading, it's about meditating, and then it's about doing, it's about obeying. And, and so that can be difficult for sure. And that's why it says this. And the author said, I, I just like that he said this because it, it's, it's a realistic portrayal of humanity. He says, said, the book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do a little bit of what it says. So that you can be careful to do some of what it says. So that you be careful to, I just want to identify with you, that you would do what you like and what you don't like of what it says. Man, it doesn't say that. And it's one word, three letters, that you would do all. And some of us have been around the laps of the track of life and spirituality. It doesn't all happen at once. But the challenge is what is God using in his word to challenge and change you in this season? In 2022. What is it, man? I, this has got to go. And, or, or I got to start doing this. And I remember when, and I've shared this before, but I remember when I was um, you know, I started the church, we started the church, Jody and I and some people, and, and we're over at Glenbard South, which is not too far from here, high school. And, you know, it, it's always like a young pastor. You're like, 
I got to come up with, and I started the church. I wasn't that young of a pastor. And, and, and I, I was like, I got to come up with an illustration about this truth that just grabs people. And so, you know, I'm thinking about it and, and I thought of something that I had never seen anyone done, do before. That should have been my first hint not to do it. <laughs> and, and then I'm like, so I'm teaching this truth and I'm like, you right there, you, 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 this Bible is inerrant and it's God's word and this is what you're doing. You're ripping the pages and I ripped the pages out and I just threw it on the floor. And I said, you in the back row, yeah, this section over here, you, what's wrong with you people in the back? And, and you, you know what you're doing? You're just taking this book and, and I ripped another page and I threw it on the floor. And that's before I learned to smile as a preacher. So I feel as if I did it now, it would be a lot better, but... But honestly, I kid you not, like the people were looking at me like I just committed the unpardonable sin. And there was a guy who like sitting about where you were and he came up and he started picking the pages up and he's canning it. I'm like, what? This is all going wrong. This is not what I thought would happen. And, and then now seriously, I know I offended people by ripping the pages out. But I just want to mark that I've been reading the Bible for some time since I was age 27. I'm maturing. I didn't do it now. So there. But I think it's more offensive to God if we do it literally or figuratively. That, man, we just ignore certain parts that we don't like. And, and, and that's what all of us have a tendency to do. And so, again, God works on one thing at a time. But let me be extremely clear for the abundance of clarity. It's not the book that we worship. It's the God the book reveals that we worship. And that's what's most important. The God that is revealed in this book is who we worship. I remember I grew up in a church where they brought the Bible in. And maybe you grew up in a church like this. And there was a whole line of people and this big book. And my brother was holding up like this. And I'm just like, we don't worship the book. We worship the God the book reveals. And what I've learned is I, I wouldn't know the God the way I need to unless I had the book that reveals who he truly is. And as we read about Jesus and the grace and the truth that he possesses, I, I just want to, I mean, I, I just want that to be true. I'm just trying my best. I know I need his strength. I just want that to be true of me. And I want that to be true of you. And so, yes, we're to read it. We're to meditate on it. We're to study it. We're to obey it. As a history buff, I love what um, some presidents have said about the Bible. So John Quincy Adams, he said, the Bible is the book of all others. To read it at all ages and to, in all conditions of human life. Not to be read once or twice or thrice through and then laid aside but to read in small portions of one or two chapters every day and never to be intermitted unless by some overruling necessity. How about what Abraham Lincoln said? And here's genuine believer. I mean, if you read his autobiography and what he did, he says, I love this. I am profitably engaged in reading the Bible. Take all this book that you can by reason and then take the rest by faith. That might be the best thing I can say today. Take all you can by reason, what you understand, and the rest by faith, trust in God. And he says, you will live and die a better man. It's the best book which God has given to man. How about this? I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, he said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible, it's worth more than a college education. 
Some of us are like, I wish you'd have told me that $40,000 later. How about this, that Ronald Reagan said, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men faith. And I thought this was interesting in our day. Woodrow Wilson said a long time ago, I have a very simple thing to ask of you. I ask every man and woman in this audience that from this day on, they will realize that part of the destiny of America lies in their daily perusal of this great book, the Bible. So we got to study it, we got to read it, we got to meditate on it, and, and we got to obey it. Simple message. And then we'll be blessed by it. So, so look, at, look at what the God of the Bible wants to do. He wants to bless you. I, I haven't said who this is. It's Joshua. He's, yes, it's, he wrote the book. He's responsible. His name's on it. But I haven't mentioned that, and maybe you know his story. Look at what he's writing. He says, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And so if you double-click on this prosperous, sometimes it's translated profitable in the original Hebrew. It means literally, I thought this was fascinating, it means to break out. I'm not talking about your complexion. I'm talking about breaking out of the mold, breaking out of the limitations that we put on ourselves, that, that man, we're going to break out and and the truth is going to, as Jesus says, set us free. We're going to break out of the stinking thinking that we have about ourselves. and We're just, we're just going to break out and experience freedom from bondage. And Man, we're going to break out from what that person said about me and what they think and what God believes and who I am in him. And, and then he says this. That that's the blessing that you'll have. He says, then you'll have good success. And if we double-click on this word... In the Hebrew, it means literally you will become wise. And so I don't know about you, but man, my whole life, I just want to have more wisdom. And, and so we're leaving some blessing on the table that God wants us to break out to become wise in what we say, in what we do, in who we are. And how about you? But I would argue we need a little more of that in our world. Anybody with me? We need wisdom. And we need blessing, that you would be a blessing to others. So I alluded to it. Let me clean up for a moment. This, this, just listen, this series, don't judge us. We're just picking one verse. We're not developing Joshua the whole book. I'm not developing the whole chapter. I said nothing about how it says, be strong and courageous. I didn't tell you the backstory. Like we're just going to take in this series, it's a unique series, just one verse, not teach the whole. We're going to present it in the context but, but man, this is, how could God use that in you and for you as he's used it in me? It's very testimonial, this series. And, and so think about a testimony as, as Joshua, can we go back to that verse, as he begins writing this, what must have been going on in his mind? Well, for those who grew up in church, you might remember that he and this other guy, Joshua, and I can't remember his name, he's the one that went, and they sent Caleb, there it is, to go spy out the land. And because God wanted to bless the nation of Israel. And then what happened is that Joshua and Caleb, they were the ones, they came back, they're like, we're taking it, man. Let's take the hill. Let's go for it. And then what happened? There was 10 other spies with them. And these spies, they came back, they didn't have as much, they didn't have as much, I don't know what it was. They they said, and it was described in the text, it's kind of funny, actually, that they said, we are like little grasshoppers compared to the people that are in the land. 
And so they're like, we, we can't take this. And so I, I just would have liked to have been part of that little meeting with Moses, but somehow the 10 beat the two. And you know the rest of the story. They wandered around and they didn't experience the blessing that God wanted for another 40 years. So you tell me what he's thinking when he writes this. Hey man, you're gonna make your way prosperous. Hey, you're gonna have great success when you just do what God says. Because I, I did, I let people persuade me. I, I can't speak for certain, but I'm certain there must have been some regrets that, man, we could have experienced a lot more blessing a lot sooner if we would have just done this. And so I, I think we can do that sometimes. Is that we can kind of leave some blessing on the table. And so it's simple, really. Our time has escaped us. I know that because the piano player is ready to go. <laughs> Just hold tight for a mother moment. We love you very dearly. And can we get a spotlight on her, please? I'm <laughs> joking. But what are we going to do is I know you're going to want to do what I'm going to want to do, and you're going to want to do it, and I hope you are this section. Yes, you are. Balcony, great to see you here. Thank you. The challenge is simple. After every message in 2022, let's just say, so what? Like, that's a great thing. Well, the challenge is read your Bible. And, and so we got different apps. We're going to put this on the screen. If you go to our website, or our, no, you go to our app, and it will lead you through several different plans. I've made it a habit in the recent years to try to read the Bible from cover to cover every year, this year I got stuck, I was really behind, but then I got COVID and I was in the hospital and I just put it in my headphones, in my ear pods, and I'm telling you, I caught up, but it was, it was awesome. And so it's kind of got me now, every time I'm working out, I'm just listening to the Bible, which is great. I mean, and maybe you've never read the Bible cover to cover. What a great goal for this year. And please, if, you're, if you want to do that, do not, do not start in Genesis and read straight through. Don't do it. You say, why not? Well, because in Leviticus, if you make it that far, and it'll be March, and you're like, oh, this is, I'm not going here. And that's why they say, hey, read a chapter from the Old Testament or two, and a chapter or two from the New Testament. Maybe your goal is just to read the entire New Testament this year. I mean, let's that, you know, whatever it is, man, just get God's word into you. And so pick a plan. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, it's January 9th. You could have gave me this idea January 1st. Why didn't you? I was on vacation. I'm sorry. I mean, but I'm bringing it to you now. And, and just chill out for a moment because the, the Bible has 1,189 chapters. And so that means only if you read it once a day, all you need to do to get through the whole thing is read 3.25 chapters a day. That's it. You say, but it's January 9th. If you start tomorrow, it's only 3.33 chapters a day. So there. No excuses. Let's just do this. Let's get God's word, God's word in our hearts so that we can be blessed in who we are and what we're doing. I love what um, Billy Graham said, and I'll end with this quote. He said that, this is why we need to read the Bible. Because most of the people aren't. And we in the church, man, we, we gotta have a love for God's word. It's a lamp to our feet. And he, he says, why? Because we're the Bibles that the world's reading. 
He, he says, we are the creeds that the world is needing. And I couldn't agree more. He says, we are the sermons the world is heeding. Father, give us more of a desire, more of a love for your truth. Faith does come by hearing as your word declares, hearing the word of God. And I pray for each of us in this season, this new year, 2022, that you would feed us through your word. And I know if you feed us through your word, you will lead us. And Lord, we need to be led by you. I'm praying that for me as an individual. I'm praying that for my family. I'm praying that for our church. Lord, would you lead us in 2022? Would we heed your calling? Would we be careful to do all that you say? And for those that are having difficulty, Lord, I know we all are in some way. I pray that your word would provide nourishment and strength and, and give us the courage to take the step of faith that we need to take. And Lord, in a moment, we're going to stand to our feet and worship you for who you are and what you've done and how you've sent your son for each of us, which is the message of this book. May we appreciate the wisdom that is revealed to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit use it to change us into the people you want us to be. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.